podcaster, I hardly know her. <laughs> oh, hi. My name is Megan. I'm a busy mom of four young kids, a comedian, an improv trainer, and an award-winning author. This podcast is essentially the vessel I use to verbally process all types of topics and experiences. I love sharing stories, ideas, and considering new alternatives to things I have yet to learn and apply to my own life. All of this in effort to help create happier, healthier human connections through humor. Welcome to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. November is National Adoption Month, and we're continuing with this series of episodes where I am learning so much more about adoption um, and and the different complexities, all the different sides of adoption that really the more we talk about it, the better equipped we are to uh, be good collaborators in our community and to be sensitive to others in the world around us. Today's topic is transracial and transcultural adoptions. What's the difference between those terms? How do they uh, weave together? And what are some of the, the challenges and beautiful things that come from transracial and transcultural adoptions? My guests on today's episode are Stephanie and Jenna Pearl. Stephanie is the adoptive mom in this scenario. She is also the founder and executive director of A New Beginning Adoption Agency, which is based in Boise, Idaho. And Jenna was adopted as an infant from China. Um, I really enjoyed this episode. And even though I've served on the board, I've actually been the vice president of the board of directors for A New Beginning Adoption Agency for several years. I'm always remotivated and inspired by hearing stories and understanding how vital resources are and overcoming the challenges that um, are in the space of adoption. Each story comes with its own set of challenges and victories. So I hope that you will um, enjoy listening to this as much as I did um, to hear a little bit about um, this, this particular variety of adoption. So thank you for tuning in and let's go. On today's episode, we're talking about transcultural and transracial adoptions, which to me, initially, when I heard those terms, I was like, ooh, I don't really know if there's a difference there. I don't understand the difference. Clearly, there's different words. And I think in our world today, words matter more than ever because we're actually paying attention to them. And trying to, I think, by and large, I think our society is trying to be more aware and sensitive for the vast majority, not everybody. Uh, but that's kind of why we're here is to talk about some of the different terminology. What does that mean? And not only the terminology, but why that matters on the human element to uh, honor and respect who we are as humans. So um, I've been looking forward to doing this interview. This is with Stephanie Pearl and Jenna Pearl an adoptive mother and an adoptee in a transcultural slash transracial adoption scenario. And Stephanie, why don't you start us off with like telling us a little bit more about some of the technicalities of that? What does that even mean? And how do we dive into this conversation? Thank you. That is that is such a great question, actually. Um, so transracial. So Jenna is a transracial and transcultural adoptee because she's a different race than our than our family, which is Caucasian. Um, and obviously a different culture. She's from China and now she's, she's in the United States. And so 
transcultural adoption would be more someone who was adopted um, possibly from maybe a European country or a Caucasian country into a Caucasian family, but they still have a different culture from where they come from. So that's sort of the difference. Um, and so with Jenna, it's both. And then with some, with some kiddos, it's, it's, you know, they're from uh, a Caucasian country, um, but they're obviously their culture is very different than the United States. How common is this type of adoption? With I think, different- I think it's pretty common. I think it's, it's slowing down a little bit. Adoption, international adoption specifically is slowing down a little bit um, because of all the, the legal changes, um, the state of our world right now, um, you know, with, with travel and COVID and everything. And so, so that has changed a little bit. Um, but I think it's, I think it used to be more common. I, I still think it, it happens. Transcultural and transracial adoption still happen. Um, but I think that we're educating hopefully better than we used to, to prepare families for a transcultural or a transracial adoption. Cool. And I can't wait to hear some stuff from Jenna here before we switch over to her. I want to hear from you, Stephanie, what was your thought process or what directed you to look at an adoption from China when you were embarking on your adoption journey? I love this question because I don't know for sure that I've ever completely answered it for Jenna either. So this is really kind of interesting on a podcast to be doing this, but um, I, you know, I think for us, we wanted to adopt a child that was waiting versus waiting for a child. And so um, that was sort of a difference for us with um, we knew there were there were children that that um, were ready to be adopted and they were waiting to be adopted. And so that was important to us. Um, and then it became sort of a process of elimination for culture. And we just kind of kept going back to um, Asian countries specifically because um, there was just there were just things that love of the Asian culture for us that we, that, that felt right. And, um, family did a lot of Asian cooking already. And I know it's not all about cooking, but that was just an easy thing that we knew we could incorporate. And I just, I just sort of have always loved and been drawn to Asian culture. And so then it became narrowing down which, which country. And, um, we also knew we wanted to adopt a girl. Um, that was, that was something that we had decided on from the beginning. And we had talked talked about adopting before we knew that we wanted to adopt before we had biological. That was something that, you know, I knew from a very young age, I wanted to adopt internationally, um, actually from middle school, I, I knew that I wanted to do this. And so that was very intentional. And, and so then when we realized, you know, we really do want to adopt a girl, then China at that time became just an easy decision for us. Um, and back then it was very clockwork as well. Like you did your home study and the process was very, very, uh, you just knew what to expect. Uh, that is not the case anymore, but that for my, anybody who knows my personality, having just sort of a paved, you know, a, a roadmap of how things were going to go and the timelines was a good fit, fit for us. Um, and we just, again, just really loved the culture, um, and wanted to get to know more about the culture. That's really cool. Um, and good information to like, know that everybody's story is so different and the intentions and the timelines are all so unique to individuals. Um, Jenna, I'm curious, uh, like, I do want to know, like, what it's like for you to have grown up in this environment. And I'm also curious when you noticed, like, how old were you when you noticed that there were some differences between you and your family? Um, 
I would probably say when I started hitting more of like my teenager years, like when I hit like 13, 14, because growing up, I obviously didn't notice much of a difference. I'm like five or six, very young. Everyone's the same to me, like it doesn't matter. But then it's, I started to notice in middle school, you know, when you start to be aware of, oh, that girl's really pretty. And you're just aware of looks and everything. And I started to be aware that everyone didn't look like me and I stood out and I looked different. You know, I had black hair and brown eyes and all the other girls had like blonde hair and blue eyes. And so that's when I started to realize that I was different. And I also would start getting questions too from like friends or peers, like, about my parents being Caucasian and I'm Asian. And I would also notice too, because there were a couple Asian students that I went to school with that were in my school and their parents were Asian. And so that would raise some questions because neither of my parents are Asian, both my parents are white and these other kids, their parents are Asian. And so I started to notice that as well. Um, I'd say that aware age is probably like 13, 14, 15, so. What did it feel like? Was it something that you were like uncomfortable with or were you more curious or and starting to just question things about yourself or about like, why are so many questions coming up? What was it like for you to be coming aware? Um, I definitely, a lot of questions arose and lots of different feelings arose. I definitely struggled with the fact of my ethnicity and the fact that I was different in middle school because Obviously, at that age, when you're a young girl, you're struggling with, you know, like image issues and stuff like that. And you're starting to, with social media in it now, too, um, it affected just a little bit of it. Just the fact that I didn't look like all the other girls and I didn't fit in with all the other girls with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, which there was nothing wrong with that. I just envied them and I was jealous because everyone liked the girls with the blonde hair and the blue eyes. No one looked at the Asian that kind of stuck out and had the black hair and the brown eyes. But as I've grown up, I've learned to, I love being Asian now. I love my culture. I love my ethnicity and I love my race. But growing up, that definitely brought up those kind of questions. Um, but I was also fairly confident too in the same way. I don't know how, but I was raised, I think, to be very confident as well. So I didn't really focus or just like sit on the feeling of the fact that I was different. I think my mom did a really good job at raising me to be culturally and racially confident because I along with the different feelings and questions of being adopted and looking different, I would get the, obviously like the racist comments and stuff, racist comments and stuff like that. And um, I never let those affect me. And I never really got too bad to the point of where I didn't like being Asian. So I think my mom did a really good job at building me up in that. And I was never ashamed either of being adopted. I was always very open about it. Like kids would ask me, you know, is one of your parents like Asian? Like, are you mixed, like white and Asian? And no, both my parents are white. I was adopted. And they were like, oh, what's that? Oh, my mom got me from China. She went all the way over there and she picked me out. So I think, I think she did a good job there. And I don't think that it brought too many issues. Not that I can think of. What are some of the things um, that you guys either have done as a family or maybe that you wish you would have done as a family to celebrate some of those cultural differences? And this is a question for either of you, either some things that you did try to really put some emphasis on to incorporate that on a regular basis or traditionally, or, or maybe even looking back, what are some things that I maybe could have done better or, or anything in that scope <laughs> might be a lot. I know that growing up, um, 
I can remember a couple of times where my mom would try to get me to like participate in different like Chinese holidays or like put me in like the traditional, the traditional dresses. And growing up, I can just remember I absolutely hated it. I did not enjoy when she would put me in those dresses or take me to these weird events, like not to say that they're weird, but when I was younger, they were weird. I was like, what is this? But um, in a way that it was very good that she made me do it. I know that it got to a point where we just stopped doing it because I didn't like doing it. And I think that was in the point when I hit that teenage years of where I was kind of realizing that I was different and I wanted to look like the other girl. So I tried to repress, I guess, my Chinese Asian identity. And I kind of, it was a little bit of internalized racism and a little bit of whitewashing of myself. But um, other things that we've done is the Asian food on Christmas. My mom does big dumplings and different Asian dishes and we eat that every year for Christmas instead of your traditional ham and stuff like that. And I know over the years as I've gotten more culturally aware of my own culture, I've wanted to celebrate these holidays more. And so this year, this past year in 2021, we celebrated and we went out to dinner for Chinese New Year, which is really cool because I think the last time we did that, I was like nine or eight, very young, but not too much. I know that we're really trying to figure out what all these Chinese holidays are and because we want to celebrate them. We just got to learn. And I I think I, um, if I were to do something different, I wouldn't, I would have pushed back more when I, when I I tried to, I I spent a lot of money on um, uh, like language, like Mandarin language. Uh, What was it? Rosetta Stone, I think I got. And we looked into some different, different classes and um, Jenna at the time gave a lot of pushback and I didn't, I didn't push enough. And I think that's one of my biggest regrets is I wish that I would have pushed her harder to, to learn Mandarin. Cause I think that would have been really beneficial for her now. And we hadn't experienced, and when was that a couple months? Well, about probably six to nine months ago in the spring. Yeah. We went to, um, an Asian market, um, here in Boise and, um, and they figured out really quickly that Jenna didn't speak the language. And, mm. um, I really got a look about that. Like I could tell oh. that they were quite upset that she did not know how to speak Mandarin. And, and uh, I just wanted, we walked out and we kind of laughed and I said, I wish I could tell him I tried because I did. <laughs> it's not your fault. I was very <laughs> stubborn at that age. And it, it wasn't necessarily the fact that I didn't want to learn Mandarin. I think it's just the fact that it was one of the hardest languages to learn. And totally. so I want to put in the time to learn all of that. Yeah. yeah. So have it- I wish that you definitely would have like forced me to do it. Yeah. really cool to know Mandarin right now but it's never too late to start I was gonna say have either of you like revisited that and check out some options to start at least incorporating it yeah I've definitely looked at um like colleges I'm going to mm-hmm. and if they have Mandarin to take as an option so I've looked there and I'm really interested and want to see if any colleges offer for me to take Mandarin if mm-hmm find another way I've looked if Boise and Idaho have any like schools for learning Mandarin and I found quite a couple so it's just whatever one works out Mm -hmm. that's cool and I think um the other thing that I wish we would have done is I wish we would have gone back to China when she was probably you know probably in ninth grade I would think maybe with ninth ninth or tenth grade and um she didn't ever want to go to China 
Like we had a lot of conversations about that. You know, I said, let's go back and let's save and let's go back as a family. And um, that was another thing that she just, she didn't want to do. And I guess as a parent, I was like, well, it's an expensive trip and I don't want to drag her kicking and screaming if she doesn't really want to go. Yeah. We should have gone. We should have gone. And that's, that's another regret that I have is not taking her back sooner, but we've talked about going and I think that we'll go, I don't know, Jenna, you kind of had a time frame I think, of when you want to go back now. Yeah. Kind of when I'm done with like college and everything. Are there any things that you're, you're discovering about yourself, Jenna, as you are kind of expressing more curiosity about it and openness to learning about holidays and different things? Um, I mean, on the one hand, it's like you guys are expressing, Stephanie is expressing some regret for not doing the things, but then also what if you had done them and then you were bitter to her for forcing, you know, you never know, right? So as you're like unpacking things now and learning more about your culture, um, are you feeling like there's things that you're worried might be uncovered if you immerse yourself or negative feelings about adoption? Because maybe there's things that you might go, man, I missed out not being in my culture. Um, I'm just curious if there's, if, if you're starting to be able to pinpoint some of the things and maybe why you felt a little guarded about it in the past and, and kind of how to open your heart and curious mind to accepting things more without hopefully being triggered too much or something. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've given this a lot of thought actually, and I've had really cool conversations with some of my other Chinese adoptees friends about like this topic of what if I had grown up like immersed in the Chinese Asian culture and I wasn't, you know, living in Caucasian Idaho and how different would my life be or if I was even in another state adopted by a different family. But um, I really never know how to answer that question because I don't know who I am without having been raised in Idaho by my parents. Like all I know is the, I guess the American culture um, so I don't really know what I'm missing out on. I haven't had the chance to really be immersed in like real, like authentic Chinese culture. And I don't feel like I would feel like I was missing out on a ton. I know sometimes I do feel like, um, like it would be cool to um, celebrate all these holidays and live with all these other, like around in a community of people that look like me. But I don't know. I think I'd have to experience the culture to be able to answer that one just because I haven't experienced it. So I can't say that. And all I've known in my life is living in Idaho and not too much Asian culture. So some of, oh, did you have something you want to say on that stuff? I was just going to say that I remember, so when Jenna turned 10, she and I went to New York city, we went to Manhattan and um, for her birthday. And I remember, and I don't know Jenna, how much you remember of this trip, but I remember we went to Chinatown and I was so excited because I thought, oh, yay, we're going to go. And she's going to be able to look around and, and, and feel like she's fits in more maybe because it you know and and um so we were down there and, and this is what I remember and Jenna I don't know if you remember or not but we were there for probably we, we went and ate and you know there's lots of great shops and people came up to her and you know they they asked where she was from and so there were there were a couple of shop owners that asked her you know where, where she was from and um but I remember her after probably an hour saying can we leave I want to go do you remember that, Jenna? Or no? I mean, I know that was a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, I have something to kind of add to that. I think looking back on that, I don't remember too much of it just because I was 10 and now I'm 20 in a couple of days. But I just remember it being very interesting because I had never been around that many 
Chinese Asian people. So it was a little overstimulating. And I was like, wait. And I remember I did not like the smell either, like of China. Like I did not like the smell of when we would go in the stores or the museums and the restaurants. I didn't like the smell. It was really weird to me. But this is kind of relating to it. It's a little off topic, but I was talking with um, some adoptee, Chinese adoptees friends and this kind of, when you were talking about taking me there in New York, it kind of reminded me of this. Growing up as like a trans racial, trans cultural adoptee or just even a Chinese adoptee, it's very interesting because you have in America, you have your, um, Oh, how would you say it? Asian Americans, like people who immigrated over here and they're raised by um, American, um, Asian parents. I can't think of the word. Yeah. You have your actual Asian Chinese people who live in actual China. And then you kind of have like the Chinese that I am, like the adoptee who doesn't really fit into the Asian American because mm -hmm. you're raised by Asian parents. But you also don't fit into the actual like Chinese because you weren't raised in China. It's just that different, those two different lines and you don't really fit into either of them because you have white parents and you live in America and you, you don't have any culture really. So you don't feel like you really fit into either. So you kind of have this middle ground where you fit in, but it's also kind of weird. But that kind of reminded me of it because I feel like I've talked to multiple Chinese adoptees about this and they all feel the same that they don't fit into either category of like, mm the different categories that Chinese Americans or just Chinese people really fit into, you kind of have your own. You've mentioned a couple of times having these discussions with other um, Chinese um, American, Chinese Asian, wait, hold on. I'm like, I'm saying the term. <laughs> it's really confusing. Different, I know there's different Asian cultures too. So I'm like, crap, I'm going to say the wrong thing. Um, but other adoptees, where are you connecting with them? And I know you are part of a group that has been launched fairly recently with a new beginning adoption agency called Yana. Is that connected or did you have other friends and acquaintances in adoptee land that kind of have have spurred that or give me a little bit of insight on how how can people connect what was that like for you and how is that well, helpful? yeah mine actually wasn't through the agency really I mean the first interaction that I ever had with Chinese other Chinese adoptees was through my mom growing up with um, two other little Chinese adoptee Asian girls um, that's the first I guess interaction I had with other Chinese adoptees but recently I've noticed um I don't know. I don't really know how I've connected with these people, but it's been quite quite a few. Um, I have this one friend and she goes to, well, she went to school with some of my friends and I kind of connected with her through a mutual friend that we had. And now we're really close and I thought that was really cool and others I've met other places, but um, it's very interesting because I didn't realize that there were, I guess, so many Chinese adoptees here. I thought the community, the community still is really small, but I thought that it was a lot smaller and I was kind of like one of not that many, but now I'm kind of seeing that I am maybe one of many more that are out there. So I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. Cool. So then um, maybe then I guess to shift, because I remember first hearing about the group and you kind of helped lead Yana, right? Yeah. So what are some of the things that excite you about what that means for community, for people in the adoption world, and how can that be a support to others? 
Yeah, um, I know that growing up as an adoptee can feel really hard to fit in really because you have all these different feelings and emotions and experiences that differentiate from, I guess, other kids or other friends or people around you. And it's hard to find other people in the community. And so by having these groups, it gives these kids and these teenagers a chance to connect with other adoptees and speak with people and have support from people who actually can empathize and understand what they're going through. Because I know growing up for me, it was really hard to talk to my non-adopted friends about some of the stuff that I was dealing with because they didn't fully understand what it felt like to feel what I felt. And then I would talk to people that were adopted or, um, Chinese adoptees and they would totally understand what I'm saying and I think that's something that's really important to adoptees to just be heard and have someone understand what you're feeling uh, and even sometimes like certain adoptees from different like foster care or infant um, I think it's really important that people kids teens from the same programs connect to because I know that sometimes there are well, not sometimes, all the time. They're very different experiences. And so being able to connect with someone who has had the same experiences or similar is very important. And I want to give kids like me a chance to connect with adoptees because I know that that would have really helped me if I was in a group like what I'm leading now when I was younger. Nice. Stephanie, do you have any thoughts on that before I actually transition to the obviously support for all three angles of the triad of adoption are really important. This is a, a little bit of a scope um, that Jenna just covered from the adoptees perspective. How is this um, important in helping with the overall objectives of running support from all angles at the agency level? I think, you know, I, I think one of the things that um, was hard is we, you know, we had a pretty large group of families that got together and did a lot before probably the girls hit middle school. And most of them were girls. There were a couple of boys in the group, but that was a group of families that we waited together to adopt. And then we were kind of there to support each other as we brought our, our kids home. And, you know, we did a lot together. And so when Jenna's talking about, you know, putting the dresses on her and, and, and doing the different, we did the land Chinese lantern festival. I remember we, we, made lanterns and we, we did that. So we did more of the holidays, some of the celebrations um, when they were younger. And then I think what happened is, you know, junior high hits and they get busy doing other things, whether it's sports or music or art or whatever, whatever it is. And this sense of sort of staying connected wasn't necessarily as much of a priority for some of them. And so I think like looking back, I think that's really too bad because I think that these, these kids would have really valued having that strong connection and relationship all the way through, um, you know? And, and so I think that parents, if, if, if they're going to, I, I, just, I just feel like if you're committing to adopting a child, period, but then if you're committing to adopting a child of a different race or culture, so important to keep them connected with others like them. So I'm so grateful that Jenna's finding these people in her community, you know, these kids in her community not kids, they're young adults, um, to kind of connect with. But we had that, we had that built-in system that people sort of just did not prioritize, I think, uh, for lack of a better word. And um, I think that our, I just wonder how our kids would have done. I mean, they, they're all doing really well, the kids, as far as I know, but I just think that connection all the way through high school would have been really helpful. So I think when you, when you commit, when you make the decision to adopt a child transculturally or transracially, 
it's your responsibility as a parent to do everything you possibly can to help them stay connected to others like them, but also to, you know, do everything that you can to learn about their culture and help them learn about their culture. I think that in like today's day and age as well, it kind of has something to do with also people being more aware of race and different cultures. And I think that just has to do with everything that happened last year in 2020 and continuing into this year, just people being more aware of different cultures and ethnicities and races. I think back then was a very different time where people weren't as aware of that and everyone was kind of, I don't know, people, I guess, didn't really notice other cultures or other color around them. It was just kind of just not talked about. And now there's a chance for it to be talked about and for that discussion to be open. One of the things I wonder, as an adoptive mother, Stephanie, um, as I've been around adoption community more, I mean, I, I'm a birth mom. So I had my one isolated experience that I noticed with my own details all the years, but then learning some of the stuff on the other side of, um, when adoptees are starting to learn more about themselves or gaining some of those independent things or wanting to know more about their cultures, or in some cases, um, like their biological family. And I don't know how much of that you guys have explored um, or if you want to touch on that at all. But I am curious, what type of advice as an adoptive mother would you have um, to help parents to be really excited about this information and having it maybe be at the pace of the kid and not be too overwhelming, but to make sure that there is a way to honor it and not almost feel like, there's gotta be like a little bit of an intimidation factor or an insecurity maybe even for an adoptive mom to have something that's not your normal culture and to do it the best way you feel you know how. So maybe some words of advice in that scope. I think I think the best that I can say with the cultural piece is, is it has to become sort of part of your family. So like, like our family for, I don't know how many years, you know, Christmas has always been Asian food. It just is. That's, and I don't know when we started that tradition, but everybody close to us knows that that's what it is. And that's, that's, that's what we do. And so, you know, and, and with the new year's celebrations and some of those, those celebrations, my, my goal, and I don't know that Jen even knows this, but my goal as a, as a parent, adoptive parent was to make it so much a part of our family that, that I literally would say to her, this is how I viewed it would go down is I would say to her, well, that's fine if you don't want to go to Chinese New Year this year, but this is what we always do. So we're doing it. So making it so much a part of your family culture that that's just how it is. And, and I think that's one of those things that we lost when our group sort of, you know, disbanded a little bit is, is we had those things in place. And those are kind of commitments that the, the parents in that group made to each other is, hey, we're going to be there to support you, support each other. And we're going to have these holidays and these celebrations. And this is what we're going to do. And then there, there just wasn't the follow through. So if I were to do it all again, you know, these, these um, like holidays, like we would know the holidays because we were, we would have been celebrating the holidays. They wouldn't be something that we're having to explore and learn now. It would have just been part of our family culture. Um, Because, you know, I think that when you get to that junior high age, you know, you don't want to do something, you don't want to be different. You want to fit in, but we should have continued doing those as a family. So that, that's, that's a regret that I have is we should have continued doing those. And then when Jenna now, you know, five years later, she could have come back and said, well, I think I'm ready to maybe do that now, you know, but, but because we didn't continue, it's, it's kind of re it's, it's learning things. So it's making that, it's making that commitment. Um, 
I think in terms of birth parents, I think it is important to talk about that with international adoption, because um, I think sometimes I've heard this through the years in my career, people say, I, we don't want to, or we're going to adopt from another country. I've literally heard this because we don't want to quote deal with birth parents. And that is, you are, you are potentially going to get to get to, for me, it would be an opportunity and such a blessing and gift to get to meet her birth parents. But I've never had that fear. I've never had that, um, that fear of, oh my gosh, what if she meets them? You know, I think sometimes adopted parents think, what if, what if their child likes their birth family better? I mean, those are, you know, those are just fears that I think adoptive families have sometimes. But for me, like I've always incorporated birth family into discussions. Like I, you know, I, I, I've always, like when Jenna was just very, very young, I said, oh, you must, well, I remember one, I remember one day I was making chocolate chip cookies and, and Jenna always liked to dunk her chocolate chip cookies in milk, which I don't do that. I'm pretty certain that there aren't chocolate chip cookies and milk in China, but I took it as an opportunity to say, oh, you must get that from your birth mom because I don't do that. You know, so trying to kind of figure out how, where she got different things, right? I don't know. Shopping. Do you remember that too? You would tell me shopping. You would always say, oh, I don't like shopping. You must, you must get that from your birth mom. Like she just must love to shop and loves like fashion. You, you did not get that from me because I don't like it. Totally. So, so it was just that constant, like, what, what can we identify that she probably got from her birth, you know, birth mom or birth father, because she didn't, didn't get it from us, you know? And, um, so when we, let's see, Jenny, you were 16 when we did 23 and me or 15, how 16. Okay. So she, and I had pushed for that for a little while. I wanted her to do that because I've always been sort of the, let's try to find your birth family. You know, let's see if you have any biological siblings. And I've always, I've always been there, but I've always kind of oftentimes gotten the breaks from Jenna. Like she didn't want to go there, you know? And, and so 23 and me, she agreed to do at 16 because she wanted to know more of her medical history. Um, but, uh, and we did get some good information off of that, but she also got connect, got um, some sort of I don't know what you call it, hits, pings, I don't know, whatever, uh, of like third and fourth cousins, Um, you know, and so then it's, but then there's a lot of work that goes into um, figuring out how to kind of connect with them. And she did, you, did you send one email to one cousin that lived in LA or something and no response? Yeah. So was it a second cousin? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And so there, there's a lot we could do in that, in that way, but it's, it's kind of, as an adoptive mom, just following her cues and, and how can I support you? And are you ready to do this? And it's kind of this, yes, let's go. And then we kind of stop and then let's go. And then we stop. And it's really, it's really navigating. It's her, it's her story. It's her, it's her life. It's her. Um, and so it's just trying to, I want to support her, um, you know, in that search, if that's what she decides she wants to do, but if she doesn't, isn't ready to do that, then I, I have to support that too. So anyway, loaded answer. Mm, that's great because it can be challenging and honestly there's probably not a one-size-fits-all what I love as I've um, taken away some of the just general vibe and interaction from you both is there seems to be a sense of at least the willingness to talk through things and I would think even in general as a parent um, we we really shouldn't be trying to force anything on our kids but offer ideas or suggestions and um, c- encourage them to explore things at their own pace or interest level or maybe emotional capacity at the time and just being a real support 
as often as possible in as wide of a range as possible um, because it can be, this is a scary topic for a lot of people really from all angles and people who do feel like they're alone, maybe I'm the only one that's experiencing these certain things. Um, and so that's really the, a big step in the right direction is, is talking about it and maybe admitting sometimes some of the things where I've heard you even on this interview saying things that you wish you had done differently and being able to express that. Like, I don't think a lot of parents just actually say that to their kid. Oh, I wish I would have done this differently because at least it shows that awareness of effort and attention to certain things as people are either exploring an option of doing either uh, whatever, I guess, do you use those, those terms together is trans transcultural and transracial all it's pretty much always in tandem. Right. But as people are looking into their adoption options, um, what's the best way for them to prepare themselves to prepare their extended family? How much do they really need to prepare extended family and friends? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, that's a loaded question too. Um, <laughs> well, at least give um, us a taste, but go wherever okay. you feel like you want to with this. So I, I think one of the things, if, if you're thinking about adopting transculturally or transracially, I think you have to look in your, around your community and look around you and see how many people in that community are represented of the race that you're thinking about adopting. And um, we didn't really do that. You know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't do that. And so that's, that's something um, that I think was not fair to Jenna to be placed here in such a Caucasian world, you know, but she, she was supposed to be ours. I believe that, but I think that, um, you know, I, I found, I had to find, I wanted to try to find somebody that could do her hair because I wanted somebody that, that she could identify with. And, and I actually did find somebody at one point that she was from Hong Kong. And so that was, that was pretty cool that I could find, you know, somebody, but it's, it's hard to, we have found it to be hard to break into the Chinese community here. Um, and so I think, I think looking around and seeing what your resources are and who, who's in your network. And, you know, if, if, if your whole world is Caucasian, is that fair to the child? You know, what are you willing to do to, do to broaden your world a little bit? I think those are questions that you have to ask. Um, and in, in fairness to the child, I really do. And so again, looking back, it wasn't, I, I could, I, I could look back. I'm so glad that we have Jenna. I am, but I, I wonder sometimes I'm like, man, if she would have been like adopted in like LA or New York, I wonder, wonder what she would, you know, wonder what that would have been like for her. So, um, so yeah, so that there's that piece. And then with family, you know, I think it depends on the type of of, of adoption because again, it's, it's the adoptee's story. It's not ours. And so how much do you tell about the birth parent history or about, you know, in any of those things, I think you have to be really cautious um, of that, but you know, it's, it's been an interesting season, I think as a transcultural transracial family, the last year and a half, there's been some rough family discussions that we've had um, because family sort of, we've, we've, we've heard families say, you know, she's just our Jenna, you know, she's, she's not, we don't see her as Chinese. We just, she's just our Jenna. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a problem because she is Chinese. That is who she is. And if you ignore that piece of her, you're ignoring who she is. And I understand what they're saying. They're they're you know, they, they, people say, well, I don't see race, but then you're not celebrating race. 
if you say that you're not you're not seeing the unique wonderful thing about a person if you're saying I don't see race and so we've had some difficult family conversations the last year and a half for sure well our important conversations and sometimes the difficult ones if they are difficult I think it's probably usually because it's the most important um as we kind of bring this to a close, which I, of course, have like a bunch of other things that I'm thinking about. So I would love to consider if you guys would consider coming on again uh, down the road and, and just touch on some other things. And for any of you listeners out there, if you have questions or specific things that you would like to ask, please feel free uh, to contact me to, to add some questions to the list so that we can um, dive deeper into conversation. I'm curious on this home stretch, though, a little, a little bit from each of you of what are some things you're hopeful for in per, in like current modern day with like more openness for people really exploring and appreciating individuality and that we each have unique journeys. I noticed that as a lot more of an open conversation just in general. So diving into like how that can connect to the adoption community, what are some things that um, that are exciting about where we're at and what we can do to even further improve the experience for people to have a positive transcultural, transracial adoption conversation? Um, I think it's just really important at the end of the day to really explore your culture. I know that when I was younger, obviously, I didn't want to explore my culture, but it's something that's very important. And I may have resented my mom just a little bit for forcing me, but I know that at the end of the day, I would have been grateful um, because at the end of the day, it is my main identity is my race. And so I need, I, I want to embrace that and I want to explore that. And now that I've gotten older and I have the ability to, I'm really taking a step to educating myself even more. And it's also really important as well for just adoptees to connect as well. And I'm hoping that we can really get lots of good support groups going. I know, I guess I'll plug this just a little bit. I'm trying to develop and in the process of developing a Asian adoptee support group. And so that will be Coffee and Conversations. And I'm really excited for that because I know that it's really hard to find Asian adoptees in your community in Idaho or even just anywhere it's hard to find Chinese adoptees because I know that sometimes people don't like to tell people that they're adopted and such and such, but I think it's really important that adoptees get that chance to connect and talk to other people that are like them because I know that being able to talk to other Asian adoptees has really helped me because we can relate to things that other people wouldn't be able to relate to with us. And I, I think like what Jenna said too, and, and Megan, I think you, you did as well is, is with the change and what's happened the last couple of years, you know, I think that there is more of an awareness and I think it's bringing more open conversations about race and identity and, and culture. And, um, and I think that's good. And I think that's going to be good for future adoptees that are adopted transculturally and transracially is, is that they're going to have parents hopefully that are more aware and um, just more prepared, I guess, to, to adopt uh, transracially, transculturally. And so I think that's a little bit different. I, you know, when I, when I started this agency, one of the things that I really wanted was to prepare families um, to adopt both from a attachment perspective, but also from a race and culture perspective, because when we adopted Jenna, you know, we didn't get any education at all. And so as you go through the different developmental stages with your child, you realize, 
Ooh, I, I was not prepared for this, you know? And, and I think just having those, I, I'm always very open about that and I'm happy to share what I regret and wish I would have done differently, because if that can help other people do things a little bit differently, then that's a win for me. So I think just these convert, these open conversations and, um, you know, and, and just, just really talking about things is really important. I totally agree. Um, this has been very enlightening and inspiring. Um, Jenna, on your new project, you're working on the Coffee and Conversations. Is that something that's in person for people in our local area in the Boise Treasure Valley area? Or is there possibly digital connecting options for people to participate in your vision? Um, I'm trying to do it so it can be hybrid, so I can do both in person oh, cool. over Zoom, because I know that you know, there are going to be some people that are within the community that are going to want to meet face-to-face because -face, um, right. it's a little bit more personal. Um, but then there are going to be people who are far away who can't get out there but want to participate in the group. And I want to be able to have that option. And so I'm trying to see if we can do a hybrid. Cool. That's so good. Well, thank you again both for joining in for this conversation. I was just particularly excited to actually have mother-daughter scenario be here to have an open conversation. Hopefully just that in itself will be um, inspiring to some listener out there who is maybe even struggling having direct conversations in their own household, which I uh, would suspect is sometimes a challenge. So um, in this month of exploring and celebrating all things adoption and making it as positive uh, and productive of an experience as possible for as many people as possible. Um, this is just one of some incredibly vital conversations. So thank you very much for taking the time. Um, and I hope that you guys will keep me posted on things that you have going on and I will do my best to help get the word out. And it's just been an honor and a pleasure to hear both of you um, taking your experiences and helping to project goodness into the world for others. Thank you, Megan. It was awesome to be on and talk. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. If you'd like to stay connected to me in other ways, you can find me on most social media platforms at Megan or at my website, meganmccaleb.com. And remember, you don't have to be a big deal to do big things.